0: Well, good morning again, Outlook family. It sure is good to see everyone this morning. Every year or so, we take some time and devote a few Sundays to reminding ourselves of who we are as a church and who we desire to be. And because we see having a church home as a vital aspect of being a follower of Jesus, we believe it's good and healthy to know what is true of and important to the church we call home. Because hopefully that will be inspiring to us and motivate us to be the people we each want to be. Last week we talked about the fact that here at Outlook we keep things simple. The next couple of Sundays we'll talk about the fact that we hold on to what is true and that we know why we're here. And today we're going to talk about the fact that we welcome everyone. There is no doubt that this is one of the things we hear most from people who are getting to know us. If I felt welcome, this feels like home. Uh, The people here care and are real. And this is great. It's exactly as it should be as far as I'm concerned. And it's a wonderful testimony to the warmth and the, the, the generous welcoming that you all exhibit to everyone who crosses our threshold here at Outlook. And we're always praying for more people to do so, right? We believe that each of them And each of us warrants a warm welcome. So let's look at what that really fully looks like. Let's unpack that idea. What do we hope people find when they find Outlook? And what do we aim for all of us to continue to find as members of this church family? Well, we're going to look at three things. And the first one is this. Our church must be a place where anyone feels safe to explore and inquire. We live in a confused and confusing world. We believe that the Lord has good truth to share uh, about all of life's challenges and questions that in the swirl of ideas and 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 confusing philosophies that this world serves up, that there is from the Lord Jesus in his gospel and the good, holy word of God, wonderful truth that gives us guidance and clarity amidst the confusion of this world. And we get to embrace that as a church. We'll talk more about that in the sermon where, and where we will look at the fact that we're a church that holds on To what is true. But because we know it's a confused and confusing world, we know that people are looking for clarity and truth. And so when anyone finds their way to our little community, in person or online, meeting one of you, catching a sermon podcast, or visiting one of our care groups, what they need to sense is a safe space and a non judging posture that gives them the freedom to feel out faith for themselves, to begin to explore what this thing means, this idea of following Jesus. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 11, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We sense that this is the posture of the kingdom of heaven, a door that wants to be opened, a God that wants to be found. Prayers that he wants to hear. Jesus goes on to say, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open." This is great news. And what we get to experience as a church is that spiritual seeking, and anyone who comes to us who is spiritually seeking, which, side note, I hope we all never stop doing, right? Spiritually seeking, but when someone comes to us who is spiritually seeking, it means there's potential, if this verse is true, and we believe it is, for spiritual finding. And what a great and glorious thing it is to be even at all involved in someone in their spiritual seeking and finding, and their knocking in doors being open, in their discovery of the goodness and the love and of the grace of God, to even be an usher, a doorkeeper, to, to it all observe or be part of that process, to do anything that makes that process more likely, not less likely, is a privileged thing to be and do. God is so powerful and reliable and fully capable of making himself known to the one seeking him. That's the beauty of this thing. We don't have to convince people but we do welcome them. God is so good at making himself known through the simple love and welcome of his people. If such a one finds their way among us, such a seeker, we know we're on holy ground at that moment because God pays close attention to anyone seeking him and that we get to set that table, to set that uh, environment. What a great thing to do. We want want nothing more than to remove the obstacles between someone and hearing about Jesus. We want to be an incubator of faith so it can take root and grow in any and all human souls. To be such a place is a thrilling thing. And we're here simply, this is what we like to say, we're here simply to make the proper introductions, right? We meet you and we say, hey, uh, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. Jesus, this is so-and-so. I think you're going to get along great. And we'd love to tell you more about him, right? That's, we're just here to make the proper introductions. But religion and religious institutions and leaders can get this wrong. And we recognize this. Back to Luke 11, Jesus says, Yes, what sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law. For you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden for you have locked the door to the house of learning you are not going in yourselves and you do not allow those who go in those to go in who are about to now the church can be this and often we have a reputation for being exactly this across the board that we actually seem to make it harder not easier for people to find the true and living god because we've set up some obstacles, some some cultural hurdles, so to speak. Operating in guilt and shame or trafficking and pressure or legalism, the church might be guilty of any and all of these things. So we do all we can to guard against that happening here. Getting so religious that we lose relationship, so pious that we lose perspective, so self-convinced that we grow numb to the Spirit's conviction that we stop being sensitive to the fact that there are people whose hearts are hurting, whose souls are empty, and they're seeking God. And we get to be somehow a part of that introduction, that we don't lose the sensitivity to that holy and precious thing. So the first thing, if we're talking about being a church that warmly welcomes everyone, our church must be a place where anyone feels safe to explore and inquire. Amen? Second thing is, our church must be a place where no one is excluded from the invitation. There is not a human soul on this planet who is unimportant to or unnoticed by or unloved by Jesus. The good news of the cross and the empty tomb, the grace and love that he freely offers, these are for all people to accept or reject. And so like we said, our job is really to invite and introduce. We know he's fully capable of doing the rest. He's good at letting people know that he loves them and has a plan for them and is with them. And if they'll only get that proper introduction, his spirit is wonderful at wooing people toward his goodness. In fact, it's when we think of things like this that we do well to pause and just think about the people in our own lives, the circle of influence that we have and, and ask the Lord who in my life, neighbor, coworker, family member, you name it, friend, might be ready for such an, an invitation or introduction. Now we're gonna talk a lot more about that next month. We're gonna actually spend February looking at what it means to share our faith in a, in a biblical, relevant, gentle, honoring, respectful way. But there might be someone in your life right now who is actually, if we pause and think and pray about it, ready for an invitation. Maybe it's an invitation to church, or maybe we should dial that back a little bit. Maybe it's an invitation to dinner or coffee, an invitation to a conversation. How are you doing? Let me get to know you a little bit better. But the important thing for today is to just highlight the fact that no one should ever feel excluded from that invitation. Romans chapter 10 says this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek since the same Lord, or whatever label you want to put on that, more on that in a minute, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek since the same Lord is Lord of all and is rich toward all who call upon him. All who call upon the name of the Lord you see will be saved. Now, I know we would all, I likely, I'm likely going to presume here, we would all agree with this. But a healthy, Christ-centered church fellowship will do all it can to make sure that no one feels even a hint of exclusion. That, that, that cold shoulder feeling that makes me think, perhaps I don't fit in, or maybe this is for everyone but me. That, that's the thing we want to make sure doesn't happen. People feel warmth and welcome, or they feel the opposite, that somehow they aren't accepted, that cold shoulder. And we want to make sure that we are as inclusive in the invitation as possible, that everyone knows that that door is open to them to say yes to Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, there's a couple areas of inclusion that are especially important to us here at Outlook. What, uh, it's important to us that we do all we can to be a multi-ethnic, and a multi-generational fellowship. Let's just explore those two things for uh, a quick moment. First, we are a people who ardently welcome anyone and everyone of all races and ethnicities. This is important to us. We believe it's important to God. We believe it's central to the mission of the gospel. In fact, the gospel, as it was launching out into the world, was all about bringing people who were divided and making them united Again, more on that in a moment. In Revelation chapter 7, though, we get this beautiful picture of what life will be like at the end of time when this whole era of human history wraps up and, and people are standing before the Lord. It says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What a picture! of the end result of where this all is heading, where all ministry is headed, where all mission is headed, where all worship is headed, where all the things that we do as Christians on this earth, where what God is doing in the world, where all of it is headed. Jesus on the cross, Jesus walking out of that tomb, the church being started, all of it. Where is it headed? It's headed to this beautiful mosaic of people who are all standing before the Lord in worship from every tribe, tongue, and nation. This seems to be the way God likes it what God's aiming for. And so anything that causes us to settle for less than that is something to think twice about at the very least. So that tells us that what we do, even as a local church, just right here in our little corner of the world, what we do transcends any nation or culture. It's bigger than that. The kingdom of God is bigger than that, right? It's eternal. It's global. It's nonstop. Second thing is we've always been a multi-generational church who believes that every generation counts for a lot. That there is no such thing as too old or too young to be a vital part of our church body. Amen? But I want to take a minute and just focus on the young part for a moment. In his letter to the young pastor Timothy, Paul wrote, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but be an example to all the believers in what you say and how you behave in love, faith, and holiness. Now, we could take that very directive, that, Paul, that advice that Paul was giving Timothy, and listen to it as a church, and we could also realize that we are not to look down on anyone because they're young, right? Don't discount, don't, don't kind of write off, or don't think, oh, well, maybe later, for someone who is young. Here at our church, we make a concerted effort to make sure that our students, middle and high school, See that our whole church is their home and their spiritual family. That they have every opportunity that they would like to engage in to be a part of any team, to be a part of any ministry, to absolutely see this as their home. Not later, not someday, not maybe, but today, right now. Vital, uh, essential contributors to the team that is the church. Invited not only to follow Jesus, but after we say yes to that, to live fully in the family of God, to participate in the life and in the vibrancy of the church. This is essential and important to us here at Outlook, that every generation feels as though they have a contribution to make, that they're welcome on any team and in any group to do all that, all that they can the way God wired them to make a difference. Amen? Everyone who says yes to Jesus is included in this community, this family and the ministry that flows from it. As a church, we are built to invite and to include, to celebrate and embrace what brings us together, and to reject what will exclude or divide. And that leads us to our third point. Our church must be a place where anyone feels safe to explore and inquire, where no one is excluded from the invitation, and where everyone is united around Jesus Christ. Christ. Unity in the faith. We talked about this a bit last week, briefly, in a passage from Ephesians that talked about the fact that God has given every local church, pastors and teachers, leaders, whose job is to foster unity and maturity in the local congregation. So that means one of my jobs is to keep us uh, and keep us with our eye on the ball, to not major on minors, To be clear about why we're here and what brings us together, really who brings us together? In Jesus Christ. Amen. So that means we guard against discord. In fact, that's written in our uh, membership commitment. If you've ever had that membership conversation with me, you know that there's a place right there in that commitment where we're just talking about what it means to be a member here at Outlook. And one it literally says, we guard against discord. That, that, what that means is we recognize that that warm welcome, that home atmosphere, that sense of safety, it doesn't happen by accident. We, we pay attention to that. We make sure this is a place uh, where gossip is not tolerated. We make sure there's a place where backbiting and criticism is, uh, uh, is not hurtful. Uh, criti- you know, backbiting is always hurtful. Criticism is not hurtful, but it all, if it happens at all, it's constructive. And that when people don't get along or see eye to eye, that, that they don't avoid each other, but instead they talk to each other. And that, that, that discord, that division, we recognize is a harmful thing. We're allergic to drama. And we recognize the sin and danger of division. So the unity that the Bible calls every local church to, we see that as a good and beautiful thing. We recognize that that's something we should be aiming for. But when the Bible talks about unity, we shouldn't hear uniformity. If you want a church where everyone is just like you, same politics, same socioeconomics, same education, on and on, then what you want is not a church at all. Because of this diversity, because of the fact that we're all different in our own ways, yet alike in that we love Jesus and are following him and learning how to do that, because of this diversity, our unity is made all the more beautiful and miraculous. Listen to just how important it was and still should be. Here's a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Now, here's what it doesn't say. It does not say, let there be no disagreements, right? And it doesn't say, let there be no diversity of opinions. It only says, let there be no division. Do not let those disagreements, or do not let that diversity of opinion divide you from a brother or sister in Jesus for whom Christ died. Don't let that happen. That's division. And that means the devil is winning. Now, this is becoming increasingly hard to do in the church in America today. Maybe you've noticed. But we strive here at Outlook to be a church that is free of politics, but not silent on important issues. And the fact is, we live in a society that wants to politicize every issue. Have you noticed? But we will seek to transcend that. And continue to bear witness to what is just and caring and true as the Bible directs us to address the issues in our society because we are trying to learn what it means to live as disciples of Jesus in our day and age. Now I got an email a few weeks ago from from a gentleman who after a few years had decided to not go to Outlook anymore and he wanted to email me and explain why he had made that decision. And we had uh, a few emails back and forth to chat about that. And at one point, he told me, though, that I should, and I'm quoting here, tell those brothers and sisters that if they are a Democrat, they will not see heaven. Now, that's never going to happen, okay? Uh, and that's not, never going to happen, no matter which, if any, political party you identify with. And I think that's probably obvious to you why that would never happen but as we're entering a presidential election year let your pastor be clear i appeal to you brothers and sisters by the authority of our lord jesus christ to live in harmony with each other let there be no divisions in the church Let there be no divisions in the church. I'd rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Last week, uh, near the beginning of the sermon, I talked about the power of identifying our one thing, right? What the, the main, keeping the main thing, the main thing. And when your one thing is the right thing, Christ and all that he provides, it becomes a lens through which you see and approach everything. Actually, uh, narrowing our life to one thing doesn't narrow our perspective and leave things out. It actually ends up expanding and embracing everything. For instance, let me give an illustration, another kind of inside baseball thing here uh, of some of the the things that you just kind of deal with at at moments. Uh, Think back to the summer of 2020. I know you don't want to, neither do I, but This is just an illustration. When in 2020, I preached a series that looked at racial injustice through the lens of the Lord's Prayer. Not everyone appreciated that, telling me that I was getting off track or not preaching the gospel. But this is how I see it. When Jesus gives us something as robust and compelling as this model prayer, for instance, we realize he's given us one thing as a way to see and approach everything. So I believe you can pray that prayer and let him use you to be an answer to the prayer. Pray that prayer over your marriage and your parenting and your career or your school and yes, your world and all that is happening around us. That in fact, I could preach a series on the Lord's Prayer and look at any of those topics through that very prayer. When your one thing is Jesus Christ, it will affect the way you approach everything. And that is the kind of unity that the Bible is describing when it it urges us to have unity as a local church. Galatians chapter 3 puts it like this, You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. In other words, that's us. We've all put on Christ like a new set of clothes. All the old uniforms and jerseys no longer fit or matter. All the old teams we used to play for are now irrelevant. They are far from the first thing that's true about us because now that first thing has become the main thing, the one thing, And that is we are followers of Jesus. No political party, no degree, no socioeconomic status. None of those things matter compared to the one thing that identifies us first and most. Fellow followers of Jesus. So we reject labels and anything that would define us before being named as followers of Jesus. And this is how Paul goes on. There is no longer, these were all the main divisions and the main labels used in his day. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now in the local church, that's what matters most. Dr. Derwin Gray writes about this very passage in his book, Building a Multi-Ethnic Church, and he says, The Apostle Paul envisioned and built local churches of reconciliation, where ethnocentrism, classism, and sexism, the three things identified in that passage, were crucified on the bloody cross of Christ and by his resurrection power. When ethnic diversity is possible and local churches remain homogenous, meaning all the same, the church loses credibility. Now, why is that true? because we hold to higher ideals, because we actually believe that what Paul wrote there is true, that it's the holy word of God, that all those things that society does to chop us and dice us into all these different categories, they all become secondary compared to the one category of following Jesus. And so then we unite under his banner of love and grace and truth, that water who unites us is him as our Lord, This is a priority that definitely wasn't ignored back then and simply cannot be ignored now. So we embrace our beautiful diversity. We reject what brings division. Because who we are as a people are simply those realizing how loved we really are. We're not people who need to prove we're right and someone else's is wrong. Someone else is wrong. We're not people who need to shove others toward the truth of Jesus. But instead... We're those who by the love that God has given us for each other and for him, simply invite, not divide, not exclude, but open ourselves to anyone who wants to hear more about him. That's not only true of the newcomer, that's true of each other. So our church must be a place where anyone feels safe to explore and inquire, where no one is excluded from the invitation, and everyone is united around Jesus Christ. This reframes church, as we may often think of it, as not something we attend, but something we tend, something we're a part of, something we get to help make happen or make true, this kind of atmosphere that I'm describing. We all are contributors to that. Now, if the kind of church I'm describing is the kind of church you'd like to learn more about or be a part of, let me invite you to something that we're calling Membership FAQ. It's the last Sunday of this month. It's after second service. Appetizers and child care are on us. It'll take an hour or less, but it'll, it'll be a good time of learning more about our church and specifically, if you've been thinking about making this step, what it means to be the member of a local church and this local church. What you'll hear there is that we believe church is a family and that belonging is part of Believing and that everyone is welcome to believe. Amen.